Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, bringing you an expanding library of education with even more ways to sharpen your trading skills. Access new online courses, insightful webcasts, articles, engaging videos, and more, all curated just for traders. Plus, guided learning paths with content designed to fit your unique interests. No sifting to find exactly what you need so you can spend your time learning to trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. 43 minutes to go ahead of the close. A down day for stocks. We're brought to you by ETF Exchange 16 BNY Mellons Annual ETF Symposium, September 19th to the 21st in Dana Point, California. It is a must-attend for RIAs. Space is limited. Register now at bnymellon.com slash ETF. Now, over to the first word breaking news desk for today's afternoon call. Here he is, Bill Maloney. Good afternoon, Charlie. U.S. stocks are weak again today. Amid continued Brexit fears, Dow is currently down 71 points, S&P dropped 6, and Nasdaq declines 10. In Europe, France dropped 2.3%, Spain and Italy 2.1%. The German 10 yield fell below zero for the first time. The U.S. small cap 600 is down two points, and the U.S. 10 yield at 1.61%. Seven out of 10 SB sectors are lower, led by losses in financials, materials, and energy, gains in telecom, staples, and the utilities. Dow transports drop 119, as the Biotechs fall 21, and the VIX is down by 0.3%. Dow leaders to the downside included American Express, J.P. Morgan, and Home Depot. Leaders included GE, Walmart, and Verizon. Credit card issuers fell as Sigourney Financial saw higher write-offs. Sigourney plunged 13%, the most ever. Airlines were weak again today, while Symantec rose another 3% after yesterday's 5% gain. Live from the First Breaking News Desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Charlie? All right. Thank you very much, Bill Maloney. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg-type squawk, SQUAWK on your terminal. I'm Charlie Peloton. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. A big win for the Internet. Today, a federal court upheld net neutrality regulations designed to ensure an 
open Internet. It handed a victory to the Obama administration and a defeat to telephone and cable providers. Here to talk to us about net neutrality, what this decision means for the large corporations who are driving it, what it means for consumers, is our own Matt Schettenhelm. He's communications litigation analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence in Washington, D.C. Matt, welcome. Oh, thanks, Kathleen. Thanks for having me. I love the way you sum up what net neutrality is in one of your primers on Bloomberg Intelligence. You say it prevents roadblocks, tolls, and fast lanes for Internet traffic. And even though Internet service providers own or control the infrastructure, the wires or wireless spectrum on which Internet traffic travels, net neutrality limits those ISPs' power. Talk to us about what this means. Sure, sure. So so that's exactly right. So the basic idea behind net neutrality is that the Internet works best as an open highway for, for all traffic. And so even though your Internet service provider, be it AT&T or Comcast or, or, or wireless provider Verizon or, or Sprint, even though they own effectively the facilities that, that bring you the Internet, the idea here is that they shouldn't be able to exercise total control over all that traffic. And so the FCC adopted three rules. It said that ISP shouldn't be able to block traffic. It shouldn't be able to slow down certain traffic, and it shouldn't be able to do uh, uh, deals to prioritize certain traffic. So, for example, AT&T couldn't cut a deal with Netflix to uh, give its traffic faster uh, access to you than another video service provider. All traffic should be able to, to, to drive on the same roads on the same terms. Matt, who are on the opposing sides? You mentioned AT&T, Verizon, and Comcast. They might be on one side of this debate. Who's on that's, the other side? That's exactly right. So so, so they have, have brought the challenge, the, the Internet service providers. On the other side, you have the FCC uh, that, that has adopted this rule, uh, adopted these rules, and it's defending those rules in court. The FCC is supported uh, by, by Internet-type companies, companies that, that depend on reaching end users and wouldn't want to be interfered with by those Internet service providers whose pipes they have to ride on. So companies like Etsy, Twitter, uh, Netflix, uh, Dish, which has a, a television service that rides over the Internet, uh, they support... Google, I would imagine, right? Google, Google. Google as well has largely been a, a supporter of net neutrality, although it's increasingly becoming an Internet service provider itself uh, as, as it expands uh, to... Uh, to uh, deliver its own service in some areas. So it's, it's historically been a strong supporter of net neutrality. It has supported these rules as well, maybe not as strongly as it did in, in earlier years. Well, then, if I'm an investor, how does this change anything for me because it's a, the court upheld the existing system? Does this make it harder for sure. those providers to make money and enrich their shareholders? From the company's perspective, the problem here is that Internet service had had always sort of sat outside of the regulatory box, if you will. Um, the FCC always sort of took a hands-off approach because it was always outside of the law. Um, but but since the FCC kept losing these net neutrality cases, and this is the third time it's tried to adopt this rule, uh, these rules, and this is only the first time that it's actually succeeded. In order to, to justify its rules, it brought Internet service within 
to the heart of the law. So it has the broadest potential power over the service going forward. It effectively gets to determine what is a reasonable practice under a very vague standard uh, uh, going forward. So, so what, what the, the companies, I think, are most concerned about here isn't these net neutrality rules. They said, hey, we, we want to we protect net neutrality as much as the FCC wants it. But what the companies are concerned about is what is the FCC going to do with that broad reasonableness power uh, to oversee Internet service going forward. If rates get too high, will we see the FCC stepping in to regulate the rates uh, next? I think that's that's sort of the, the big driver of, of the lawsuit. Matt, just quickly, uh, is this the last legal word on net neutrality? Well, if, if the Internet service providers have their way, it won't be. They, they will likely ask the full appeals court to reconsider this decision, and that will be due at the end of July. They also have the option to take this to the Supreme Court or try to take this to the Supreme Court. Uh, but that's a, that's a tough, a tough uh, road to, to follow that the Supreme Court denies most cases. So this very well could be the final word in the case. Thank you very much for joining us. Matt Schettenheim is communications litigation analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, joining us from Washington, D.C., home to Bloomberg 99.1 FM. You're listening to Taking Stock. I'm Pim Fox. My co-host, Kathleen Hayes. This is Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Taking Stock is brought to you by Cone Resnick. Accounting tax advisory. Is your business ready to break through? See how the professionals at Cone Resnick can help guide your business forward. Find out more at ConeResnick.com. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.